Oh, yes, my name is Stuart Sauer. I'm the, uh, the lead pastor here. It's great to have an opportunity to finish off our series uh, as we do tonight. And I'm going to ask that God would help all of us to make the most of this opportunity. So let's pray. Dear God, we do thank you for this series, a chance to look at what your plans and purposes for this world are. Help us tonight to open our hearts to you. Be at work by your Holy Spirit, we ask for Jesus' sake. Amen. I want to ask you uh, to complete the saying, nothing is as certain as what? Death and taxes. Nice work, Andy. Uh, Was anyone going to say anything else other than death and taxes? Nothing is as certain as? Tomorrow, yes. Uh, The Wallabies losing to the All Blacks in the Bledisloe. There's a variety of things, aren't there? Uh, The Australian cricket team running out of money or something. That's pretty certain at the moment. There there are some things that are certain, and I I put this one up because that was the one I thought you were going to say. Nothing is as certain as death and taxes. And what does that mean? It means every one of us is going to die, and before that, every one of us will be made to pay taxes. It's a glorious vision of humanity, isn't it? Uh, There is actually more to life than death and taxes, and there are more certain things than death and taxes. What is more certain than death and taxes? So, life certainly is for those of us who are living right now. We have life. What is more certain than death and taxes? The promises of God. Peter, that Jesus Christ will come back, just as uh, Annabelle read for us. Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? The man you saw go will come back in the same way you saw him depart. That is absolutely bedrock guaranteed. That is more trustworthy than death and taxes. How extraordinary. So here's a wonderful truth that you can know is utterly sure. It says in John 3.16, we could all warble it out together, couldn't we? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. What an extraordinary statement this is. That whoever believes shall not perish, but have eternal life. Everyone on the face of the planet has this opportunity if they will put their faith and trust in Jesus. That's bedrock true. That's as true as death and taxes. That's our great and awesome hope. Well, did Jesus invent the idea that the ends of the earth, the whole world, was on God's agenda. Did Jesus invent that idea? And you can tell me after this series, the answer is, oh, well, that was to help you, you see. Uh, I'm glad that you know Jeff, that's good. You're also here this morning, so that's helpful. Uh, Did Jesus invent the idea that God was interested in the whole world? No, he did not. He has had the world in mind from the very start. And here's my quick summary. Uh, Jeff did one the other week. I want to land the series on this. Adam and Eve in the, in the garden were commanded to fill the earth and subdue it, to go out from where they were to fill the earth and subdue it. After the flood, Noah was commanded to go into the, the earth, fill it and subdue it. After the Tower of Babel, the people who came together were scattered out into the world to fill it and subdue it. Abraham was told that he would be a blessing and that the blessing for him would be for the whole what? Correct, the whole world. Whoever blesses you will be blessed. Whoever curses you will be blessed. Whoever curses you will be cursed. And the whole earth will be blessed through your name. And then we came last week to Isaiah, where we got a little sneaky peek on the future. And we were told that at the end times, in the last days, God will draw all nations on the earth to himself. That people will come from the ends of the earth and find their right place with God in Zion. 
What a joyous and wonderful thing that is. And, and God didn't just talk about it in the Old Testament. He actually showed us it in the Old Testament. Incidentally, we are going to have a little sneaky question time at the end. So if there are questions as we go through, please jot them down. I'd love to have your questions. But there were first fruits. So the first fruit, this is so unfortunate. I meant to change this. The first fruit is a baked bean. It came from a plant. Um, Does anyone remember what the SPC stood for in, in Israel being a nation of priests? Yes? Separate? Pure and changed. That's absolutely right. So Israel were to be a can of baked beans. Uh, to the whole world, separate, pure, and changed. That's what they were looking for. We saw the first fruits, these little shoots, these little Gentiles outside Israel being obedient. We saw Rahab say, we have heard that your God is the God of all the earth, and we're going to submit ourselves to him. We heard Ruth say to Naomi, your God will be my God. We heard Nineveh say that they believed in God. We heard, as Jeff did the other week, Nebuchadnezzar say, there is no other God but the God of Daniel Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. How awesome is that? So in the Old Testament, we have seen the incredible work of God to draw people who weren't Israelites from all the ends of the earth uh, towards himself. So therefore, we shouldn't be surprised when we get to Matthew 28. Turn with me to Matthew 28. I want you to have a look. In Matthew 28, the reading that was brought to us earlier, Jesus' final words, Matthew 28, on page, someone will tell me, Page 1,000. Thanks, Andy. On page 1,000, we see this. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I'm chapter 28, verse 18. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. How wonderful. How wonderful. Does anyone know what this is called? The Great Commission. I've got to say, I think the Christian church thinks it's a great suggestion. It's a great suggestion. Jesus, having died on the cross to pay the price for our sins, having been raised to life to conquer sin, to offer us new life, said to his disciples, I've got a tip. If you get bored at all, building your fortune paying off your mortgage and getting a good education, then you might slip in a little bit of make disciples of all nations. It's a great suggestion. It's not a great suggestion, is it? We're commanded. But I wonder, I wonder if we think about this, have you ever thought that Jesus commanded you? See, I think one of the wonderful things, all these big things are hard, right? For God so loved the whole world, I remember being blown away the first day I realized that when it said he loved the whole world, it included me by name. Have you thought of that? God so loved Andy. God so loved Jeff. God so loved Joy. God so loved Meg that he gave his one and only son. That's insane, isn't it? He loved us individually, Max. He loved you, mate. Um, He loved us individually and saved us. And when he commands us, he does command us as a church, but he commands us individually. So what does it look like to have your Savior's command say, go and make disciples of all nations, and we say, I'll slot it in when I get around to it? It's pretty poor showing, isn't it? I feel the weight of that. What if Jesus had you in a room? You on that seat, Jesus on this seat, and he said, I am commanding you to go and make disciples. I said, I'm a little bit busy, Jesus. 
Do you know what my workload looks like at the moment? And, and I never see my neighbours because of my commute. So the reality is I've got some terrible workmates who I don't have any time for. And, and you can't really expect me to actually... Can you imagine how that conversation would go down with the Lord of all the universe one-on-one? What are our excuses? They're a disgrace, aren't they? I'm feeling them myself. But here's the thing. Jesus doesn't want to just give you a kick up the backside and say, go do it. Feel so guilty about this that eventually you'll overcome your fear and you'll go do it. He actually says, I will empower you. I will help you to do this task. And this, this, this passage is incredibly precious to me. This verse sat over a prayer group that I was a part of for 10 years. A mate of mine from school. He said, uh, one night, we're coming home. We, we were praying after, after we'd finished school uh, and we'd started work. We used to meet on a Thursday night and we'd pray together. We're weird, okay? But he said, uh, Stuart, we're starting a prayer group at your house for breakfast tomorrow. I'll see you there at 7 p.m. Uh, 7 a.m. And I said, okay. So at 7 a.m., he knocked on the door. We walked up, we had breakfast, we prayed and we sang. And we did that for the next 10 years. And that little group grew from that. And I kid you not that we have had people, ordinary, totally ordinary people, who have been to Kazakhstan for 10 years as missionaries. People in China working in orphanages. People in Cambodia working with kids and proclaiming Jesus. People in Christian schooling. People in public schooling naming Jesus where they are and loving people. What was the difference? had nothing to do with us being extraordinary people. It had something to do with the extraordinary empowering of the person of the Holy Spirit. And this is where this verse is. He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates set by, by his own authority, but you will receive power. This is our verse. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And we took it seriously. And we know God. And so we experience his power. And so I'd say to all of you here tonight, there is nothing that God is commanding you to do that he won't empower you to do. There's no place that you can go that will be beyond his reach. There's no people who shouldn't be reached by you. So it's profoundly personal and it's real power. So I don't want you... To have guilt be your motivation for evangelism? I think this is the thing we end up with, isn't it? Oh, no. To talk about evangelism. I'm going to feel rubbish. And then I'm going to go home and stew in my juices and I'll feel terrible. I say, no, it's not what we're trying to do. If we think about these two passages here, then what we hear is something else. We hear obedience to a command from our Savior, who knows us personally. He commanded you to go. And we know what it is to be empowered by the person of the Holy Spirit. What a joy. So when I go into my workplace, as I used to go into my workplace, I like my workplace at the moment, it's okay to talk about Jesus. When I used to go into my workplace, which was filled with people who didn't know Jesus, I'd walk in there knowing that God went before me, that he said he would never leave me or forsake me, that he would say that his Holy Spirit was with me and that his job was to convict people, my job was to simply speak. So here's the thing. It brings us to this wonderful passage. I want to show you a passage that we didn't have read tonight, but it's one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible. And Alec and Annabelle will laugh because they're in my life group, and they know that, and Andy will too, because uh, they know every passage I look at is 
my favourite passage in the Bible. But I want you to have a look with me at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And I cannot remember what page it's on, so someone can tell me. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Has someone got it to call out? No, they don't. Thank you, Jeff. 11.59. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, on page 11.59. It's NADOC week, and I worked really hard. My brain worked really hard to try and remember what NADOC stood for, but it's escaped me. I'm sorry. Um, National, Aboriginal, and Islander Day of Observance Council. Oh, there we go. Okay, NADOC week. It's designed to help us remember the National uh, Indigenous Council that is actually pointing us, in this case this year, to remind us that the original languages of our first peoples matter. The picture you have there is on the day that Kevin Rudd signed the sorry, said that as a nation we were sorry. And the word that goes with that is a word called reconciliation. And that is a profound thing that needs to happen in the life of our country And there is an even grander scale for it. In fact, arguably, the only way it will ever happen is if this grander scale happens first. Have a look at it in this passage here. I'm going to read to you 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 to 19. And I want you to hear this word being used. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself In Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Boom. Here's the bottom line. God's in the reconciliation business and it has been done on the cross. You and I need not be enemies estranged from the living God because he has done everything to make us right in the person of his son. It's been done. But for reconciliation to happen, you have to have two parties who will meet together. And that's where we need this second word, ambassadors. And I want you to see here who the ambassadors are. Look, at me, uh, look with me at verse, uh, verses 19 and following. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation, verse 20. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Seriously, there aren't any more better words than that in the New Testament. God said, I am the great king of the universe and I'm entrusting this message of reconciliation to a crack team of weirdos who are about 5% of your church. Is that right? It's all of us. You are Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through you. So the ambassadors have been appointed, and and we don't have enough time, but I would tell you, all of you think God's made a mistake. You do. You all think God's made a mistake. Why would he choose me to be his ambassador? I can barely mumble out a word. I, I barely have enough confidence to say the name of Jesus in my workplace or in my family. And God says, I make no mistakes. I empower you to be the people who will speak my offer of life. You are my ambassadors. You've been appointed. Well, when's a good time for you to speak? Have a listen to these glorious words about the end. What day is it today? In chapter 6, verse 1, it says, As God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain, for he says, In the time of my favour I heard you. In the day of salvation I helped you. I tell you, now, 
is the time of God's favour. Now is the day of salvation. When should we speak? You've heard me say it from the front before. Today's a great day to be saved. Today's a great day to be saved. Today's a great day for you to be a speaking ambassador for the king of the universe who's done everything. What a wonderful thing. So God is ready. So reconciliation is done. Ambassadors are appointed. God stands ready to save. Let's get practical in these last days. And I want to finish with being practical. Can we hand out our our brochures? They They look like this. Um, They're going to come out. If you grab one of them, that'd be great. I want to tell you, when we talk about being ambassadors for Jesus, I'm not talking about a sweaty conversation. I'm not talking about you being so uh, guilty that you overcome your fear and you end up speaking about Jesus. It is not a sweaty conversation. Instead, we would rather have you be prayerful, intentional, and engage with those that our Father loved before us. If you open this brochure up, you'll see in the middle, you'll see in the middle that there's a tree. And coming up the side of the tree here, you have some words. We talk about connecting with people. We talk about caring for them, communicating, and leading them to commit. And what I would say to you is all you do as God's ambassador is bring your relationships one C at a time closer to Jesus. One C at a time closer to Jesus. Don't worry that you haven't seen them become Christians yet. Do you know who wants that to happen? God. He's more patient than you are. Don't, don't, don't worry. But be moving every relationship intentionally. Connect, care, communicate, commit. Just move them one C at a time. Let me tell you about how this looks in practice. If you look under connect there at the bottom on the left, can you see here? It asks a question. Are you praying and looking for the people God's prepared? And I want to tell you, brothers and sisters tonight, if you're not praying, I don't want you to be an ambassador. Because the one who will bring conviction, the one who will make your words useful is the one that we should be depending on. So I want you to pray. Start by praying and then go looking. So taking the first step is for me, when I get to school in the afternoon and I go to pick my kids up, I have to make the hard choice of going, I am going to speak to someone this afternoon who I don't know yet. And some afternoons I'm good at it and some afternoons I'm too tired and I don't. But I want to encourage you, look out for the people God's prepared. That's connecting, taking the first step. What about caring? Well, you've heard me on this before. But every place I've ever been that has a sink in it, has a disease in the sink, and the sink grows cups that no one drunk out of. They're dirty cups, and they just multiply there. Anyone know this feeling? And so I would say to you, be the person, seek to be a blessing. Be the person who cleans up the mess that nobody owns and no one created. Find a way to be a blessing where you are, in your family, in your workplace, among your friends. Be the one who goes the extra mile. Care. And so I want you to move from cups to cuppers. Maybe increase the number of cups in the sink later. Invite people into your life. Care about them. Engage with them. So we connect, we care. Thirdly, I want you to communicate. It is not enough to be lovely for Jesus. Can I say that again? It's not enough to be lovely for Jesus. You might be the nicest person that anyone knows, but if you don't speak, how can they be saved? We must move to speaking. But before we speak, I want to encourage you to ask the question that you can see underneath, communicate there. We ask people, what's your background with the church? We ask people what their background with the church is so that we can show that we care for them and we can slow down to listen to them and love them. 
Once you've done that, I want to encourage you that you can then say, can I share with you my background and how Jesus has changed my life? And we've been doing this in three ways recently. We've been talking about before, how, and now. Before I became a Christian, my life was like this. How I became a Christian is like this. Now that I am a Christian, my life is profoundly different. Do you have that story ready to tell? Again, I'll cut to the chase for you. You don't. Some of you do. If you don't have that story ready to go, if you couldn't say the difference that Jesus has made, there's your homework right now. Write it down. I need to have my before, how, now story sorted. So that when I'm sharing with my friend who I love, who I've connected with, who I've cared for, and they say, look, there's something about you, and you say, yep, I'm just really nice. I'm, I'm nicer than everyone else you know. I'm a better human than you are. Well, that's rubbish, isn't it? It's a lie. And so what you need to say is, I'm just like you. And any loveliness I have comes from the Lord Jesus who saved me. Before I was a Christian, my life was like this. I became a Christian when I heard this, and now my life is different. That, that difference can be yours. And so we move from their background to telling them our background. And lastly, we come to this idea of committing. It's not just enough to have spoken clearly about Jesus, but to actually invite them to make a decision to follow Jesus as their king. And so we ask them, what are your barriers? And the reason we want to know what their barriers to becoming a Christian are is so that they might hear the invitation to make Jesus their king today. To make Jesus their king today. Well, we've seen through this series that God has been on mission throughout the whole Old Testament. And you know what? He's still on mission today. His mission was always specific. It included the people of Israel. It was always global. It included the Gentiles, which is people like you and me. And tonight I want to land on this. God's mission was always personal. It involved us. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, it is extraordinary that the message of new life is entrusted to people like us. We thank you for saving us when we didn't deserve it. We thank you, Father, that you called us to be ambassadors and we pray that we might proclaim it so new life might come to every home. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to see if we've got any questions. Jeff, if that's all right. Yep. Um, are there things, uh, maybe over the course of the series, that are still stuck in your mind? My, my, my son gave me a Karen Connect card uh, this morning, and it said, Dad saying how deep the father's love for us and he said dad why did the father turn his face away from his son i'm looking forward to talking to my boy about that but but questions come up so what have you got ask me a question yeah russell more and more you're hearing people say i don't believe there's a god yeah How, how would i approach that I think that the typical response to I don't believe there's a God is for us to try and think, if only I was really good at apologetics and I could show you 57 reasons why you should believe in a God. And I don't think that's the most helpful thing you can do. I'd encourage you to connect with them. I'd encourage you to care for them and to look for opportunities to speak clearly about the difference that God has made in your life. Because here's the thing, the one thing our world cannot reject these days is personal story. In our whole postmodern equation, right, absolute truth has gone out the window. The only thing that's true is if it's true for you. But guess what? There is something that's true for you, isn't there? 
Jesus has made a difference in your life. So here's the thing. I would say, scrap the apologetics. Not that it's not important, but I, don't think, it, I think it bounces off the hardened shell of angry people. I would continue to love them patiently and enduringly, and I would speak openly and transparently of the dis- difference that Jesus made in my life. So I'm not going to try and intellectually twist your arm until you give up and agree that God's real. I'm going to show you without apology in the transformation of my life by God's Holy Spirit that God is real. Because you look at me, I'm not who I was yesterday. And one of the great joys I have when Andy and I read the Bible together, Andy um, became a Christian not so long ago. Hey, Andy. And we just, we talk about the difference it makes. And, and Andy was, was saying, you know, I'm not, not the person I used to be. And I wouldn't, there's no one in your family, Andy, who would have failed to miss that, would they? Guys, I've got to tell you, that is irrefutable proof in the reality of God. There it is in Andy. It's in your life if God has changed you. So Ross, I'd, I'd say we, we need to give up running to the barricades and arming our big howitzers at their intellectual ideas. And I think we need to love patiently and persistently and proclaim the difference that Jesus has made person. Does that make sense? Someone else, question? Ah, oh, someone's going to ask me this at Conference of the Moon one night. That's all right. Um, no other questions? Excellent. Uh, I've got a question for you then. Are you commanded? Did Jesus mean someone in the seat next to you? We did. Did he mean someone in your seat as well? All right. I want you to feel the, the weight of that and the privilege of that. See, it's not just rubbish, is it? It's not just, oh my goodness, God wants me to be his ambassador. I think there's an incredible privilege too, isn't there? What? God, you're, you're making me your royal ambassador. How extraordinary. So I want you to go out with the privilege and the power of proclaiming Jesus.